I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello. Welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Rossi, and with me this week, as is almost always the case, are two simply Titanic, I'm going with Titanic this week, uh, co-hosts. Uh, I went with Titanic because World of Warcraft Chronicle came out and Titans are on my mind. Uh, since Titans are on my mind, I'm going to introduce the taller of our two co-hosts first. Uh, he could very well be a Titan, Alex Zubart. Hello, I am a Titan. You've uncovered my secret, and... Uh woe become you or however that goes well yeah i have been i've been blinded by your magnificence i guess finally i know what happened uh so what's been up with you this week uh playing a lot of heroes of the storm and wow it's just garrison shores again uh started reading a comic book again kind of regret it other than that not much okay uh also with us this week um i talking introducing Anne right now is so strange for me because it's like i I just want to like gush about chronicle for like half an hour at her and that's not a podcast well at least it's not this podcast but anyway Anne, Anne stickney how have you been near far wherever you are wait no um wrong (laughs) i won't i won't sing relax that's not how it's aware (laughs) it just reminded me of a review uh i'm happy because i actually got to escape my house that See the problem. The problem with where I live, I live in a mountain citadel, kind of sorta, um, is that if it snows too much, my car can't get out of the driveway. Right? It it doesn't get any better from there because then the snow melts, and if it melts too fast, then the driveway turns into a mud pit, and then I also can't get out of the driveway. So I've been stuck in my house for like two weeks unable to actually go anywhere and and this weekend everything finally dried out and i could get my car out of the driveway it was marvelous and i went to go see deadpool i mean have, having been to your house i'm baffled you can get up and down when there hasn't been rain or snow i mean driving <laughs> up that road i'm like well we're dead no <laughs> see i whenever i hear about this i just you guys i don't know if you remember it but they used to do podcasts of various jonathan colton songs yeah. And one of them is called Skullcrusher Mountain. Yeah. And every time I hear 
like and talk about a house all i can hear is you know welcome to my secret lair on skull crusher mountain and you know just imagine the, you know, and the mountain is covered in wolves <laughs> i i think Anne and i fundamentally see the road up to her house differently yeah we i do. think Anne sees like a gentle suburban road wide streets no hazards I see, you know those pictures of the wooden bridges in China that crawl up very narrow cliffs and <laughs> at any moment the rope bridge could give away and drop you 10,000 feet? That's what yeah. I see. When the see, truth I is it's to, probably, like, you know... Next time you're out in this direction, Alex, I need to take you up Land's End Road because that's Land's End Road is that okay, to that me, which means it's like going to be like... Idea. You'll be You'll be paying yourself. It'll Land's be great. End. That's where I want to go. Something with end in the name. <laughs> I took Fox up there. We fed chipmunks. It was great. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Well, as is usually the case on the show, uh, talking about top stories, um, one of the big stories this week is basically just that things are getting ready to go. I mean, Chronicle is coming out. We we got a preview of it. That was pretty big. Um, I saw an Illidan preview this week, too. So the previews are coming fast and hot from Blizzard. Yeah, I have yet to check out the Illidan preview. It's actually on my list of things to read later this afternoon. So I read it while I was waiting for them to jam stuff in my eye, which didn't actually happen. They just ended up taking blood out of me, which still feels like stealing things from me. It's like, give me back my blood. But uh, so I read through it while I was kind of like getting extremely dizzy and and sick. So I I felt for Illidan. I'm not going to spoil anything. I mean, granted, you know, Illidan's story that the stuff I read is stuff from warcraft 3 it's not news to anyone but i did like how they depicted what it's like to be in a hole in the ground for ten thousand years like illidan's thought processes are illust they're they're illustrated in an interesting way so i do recommend getting that preview and reading it it's cool i will do that after the show did they give many coloring books or anything to keep busy no Illidan's only the only distraction Illidan had from measuring every aspect of his cell, which he did, was that occasionally Maiev would come down and like be an ass to him. Like that's so that's, no coloring books. No coloring books. Plus, he he could only see his cell with his like you know spooky evil eyes. So I don't think he actually sees colors anymore, or at least not colors. If you handed Illidan like a bunch of crayons and told him to color in something, it it's not going to be accurate. That's fine. He, it's something. It's it's something to keep busy. Yeah, uh, he don't he doesn't get that. And it's funny because they it, I don't want again I don't want to give spoilers out, but the way they depict how this has changed his thought processes is really fascinating. Uh, it's it's reasonably well done. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the book. I straight up am. I'd like to read it. I want to see what they did because because I I thought Chrissy Golden did an interesting job with the Arthas book of giving you Arthas growing up and becoming the thing. The thing is is this book starts off with Illidan already there. The, like, the know, thing the, that got the thing that was really interesting to me about the Arthas book is um. I didn't find Arthas's story all that interesting. What was really interesting to me was Jaina's side of things kind of threaded throughout it. Mm-hmm. And that um, they, like, by every respect, for a lot of their lives, there was a perfect expectation that the two of them would just be adorable prince and princess. And uh, that didn't work out. Yeah. I For the Odin book, I'm, again... It's very different in that it's from a different perspective. These are different characters, and they're in a different place in their lives. Uh, but it, I'll just say this much, at least in the preview, you get the Taronda who is cold and callous to people. Good. Yay. Uh, uh, she is straight up like, 
there's a part where he's like, you know, 10,000 years. You've left me down here for 10,000 years. And she's like, yeah, deal with it. Let's go. And it's like, he's like, I, I was expecting a little something. And she's like, you're not getting it. So that's interesting too. But the Chronicle book, uh, I mean, I think if you care at all about World of Warcraft lore, you, you have to get Chronicle at this point. The, the preview took away any, any hesitation I might have had. Not even the lore stuff is fascinating. And the in the, the the maps and charts that they have are also fascinating, but the art, oh my god, it's gorgeous. I, I have wanted to see what a troll city looked like since we went to to, to Zoldrak, because Zoldrak is kind of like a ruined troll city, like a te- the the land is terraced and leads up, but it's just you know it's ruined because there's scourge everywhere and they murdered their own gods, so you never really get to see what did this place look like before everything went to hell. And you get to see like a like an actual Zandalar city. Uh, you cool. get to see what what did the what did the Black Empire look like? It looked like this. Um, what did the world look like when the when the uh, four elemental lords were fighting amongst each other? This is what it looked like, and it's just amazing. Oh, the art is incredible. Uh, I'm waiting for one of you guys to jump in at this point if you have anything to say. I'm me. I'm not that excited about it. <laughs> yeah, you know. And right, are you uh, there? Yeah. I am, yes. Okay. Um, I was kind of like percolating over what I really wanted to say. If you haven't read the preview, you should probably read the preview. Um, if you're at all interested in purchasing this book, you should read the preview because it's going to make... <laughs> um, I mean, I pre-ordered it when I first heard about it because just, just based on what they said they were going to be talking about. It was all stuff that I had, like, a vested interest in and stuff that I'd been theorizing about for how long have we been writing Rossi? A oh long time. Um, yeah. Um, Five years. Yeah. I, I was kind of blown away though. Cause it was, it was like, Oh, okay. So I guess that tinfoil hat was correct. And that one might be too. And maybe that one, I'm not sure yet. So <laughs> one, one of the things that, you know, I, I've been trying actually to avoid going too much into the lore reveals from it because some people want that and some people don't. But one of the things I found absolutely fascinating was just how stuff that always kind of didn't make sense has been made to make sense without changing the story that much. Like there's specific stuff about the elemental lords and the old gods. I'm like, yes, OK, that works with the Cypher of Damnation. That makes perfect sense. Yes, that that. Yeah, there we go. I, I so, highly recommend if people want to read it, go look at that preview. Um, anybody who complains we've spoiled a publicly available preview for this book. Uh, I have no sympathy. <laughs> you can go read it just like we did. Yeah, it's free. It, and it's it's a substantial preview. It's like 30-something pages, um, many of which are just incredibly gorgeous art. So, but yeah. The part, um, the part that's bothering me right now is that, you know, with the preview itself, they just, like, they took excerpts from the various sections in the book rather than giving us, you know, thir- here's 30 pages beginning to end. So... So there's like pieces, there's like chunks of the book there, but they're these tantalizing chunks. And I'm like, I want to see what happens on the next page, but it jumps to another section of the book. So it's like, uh, anyway, it's okay. I'm going to get that book. Absolutely. All right. I pretty much at this point though, uh, because otherwise I will just keep talking about it all day long and we need, we have other things to talk about. Uh, if you have an email you'd like us to read here on the show, because that's what we're going to do, please uh, send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, we love getting emails. You know, we, we pretty much answer a question about anything at all. So if you have an email, please send it to us at that podcast at blizzardwatch.com. 
We love to read them. We love to answer them. We love to talk about World of Warcraft. Seriously, that's that is what we do. Uh, it doesn't have to be World of Warcraft. You've got a Diablo question? We'll do our best to answer it. Uh, Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, Overwatch. Although if it's an Overwatch question, I'm literally going to have nothing for you because I'm not in the the beta. I not played it. I know nothing about the game. Um, but you know, whatever it is, we will do our level best. Uh, you get a Lost Vikings question. Ants here. Read an email for God's sake. <laughs> or you know, Alex could go nuts. Whatever. Okay, first one. <laughs> This one's from Ed Hunt, a human BM hunter. On I'm going to say up front, Beast Mastery needs a better abbreviation. Just come up with a better one, like Masters or something. The BM um, is not a good abbreviation. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know what uh, BM is in your world, but... That means, okay, it means BM that. in my grandmother's world it takes the word bowel and the word oh, movement okay. and jams them together. See, in like esports and stuff, BM is bad manners, like when you're a, a bad sportsman. Yeah, uh, I was referring to the much older use that okay. I've heard hundreds of times. So, anyway, Ed Hunt, uh, Beast Mastery Hunter on Airy Peak. Um, congratulations on your one year anniversary. I'm a big fan of both Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch, and a recent Patreon supporter of you guys. Thank I you. have a question about the Emerald Dream. As I understand it, the dream is how Azeroth would be like without the sentient life forms intervene, you know, intervention. A snapshot of how the Titans left the world, so to speak. Uh, would a natural occurring event like a volcanic eruption or a normal earthquake also occur inside the dream parallel to the real world? Or is the dream frozen in time? Also, and sorry for the long question, since the Sundering was an event caused by the elves and the once unified continent split into many and those drifted away from each other by unnatural forces, would someone entering the dream from Red Ridge or Gilneas find themselves suddenly in the middle of, a, of the ocean uh, many miles away from the still unified continent? Thank you, cheers, and may your success continue to grow every each day. Uh, Ed from Peru. So, yeah, um, Anne? It, okay, a naturally occurring event would not parallel the real world. It, it wouldn't, because you're looking at, if that were the case, the Emerald Dream would be split into the continents that we have right now, and that's not the case. It's basically wild Azeroth. It's Azeroth before it progressed into what the titans had done to it and it's kind of um the repository of all of their experiments there was i forget which novel it was one of the novels talked about what they saw in the emerald dream and it was like half formed landscapes and things like that it was like all of all of the titans programming projects were kind of like dumped into the emerald dream <laughs> some of so them it's were, developer island it's it's yeah it's essentially it's the type titan version of developer island is what it is um and i know we call it a backup sometimes and it is kind of a backup because it's you know it's azeroth before they started tinkering with it too much but if you go into an emerald dream portal in gilneas or if you go into one like the one that's out in um duskwood is it duskwood yeah, there's one yep. in Duskwood. Yeah, there's, there's one, one in Duskwood. In, uh, you're you're going through. A, yeah, you're going through a portal. That's not like a, a direct physical something you're stepping through. It's a portal. It's going to teleport you to the other side of that portal, which is still in the Emerald Dream on land, wherever that happens to be. Valshara. Yeah. <laughs> Valshara is the closest we've got to the yeah. Emerald Dream on Azeroth, but it's still not the Emerald Dream. The Emerald when Dream is, you know, different. To, to spoil, well, it's not really spoiling, but, you know, talking a little bit about what you see in Legion as a druid, if you play through the druid artifact line, one of the places that you go through, you go through an Emerald Dream portal, pretty much, and it's kind of like you go through a portal into 
a, a section of winding landscape where there are several other portals that go to several different other areas. And I mean, it's like teleportation or it's like taking a mage portal somewhere. You know, you take a mage portal, a, a mage in Orgrimmar, they put, they put up a portal that's set to go to Undercity or whatever. When you step through it, you're teleported. That's kind of how the Emerald Dream portals work, too. So there's no direct physical correlation. Well, we know from, from a quest going way back to Wrath, um, there's a quest where you go to Moonglade. Yeah. And he sends, he sends you, Rem, Keeper Remulus sends you to the Emerald Dream. And you don't end up in the ocean. Uh, you end up in a portion, a pocket of the Emerald Dream. It's not, they're not overlaid on each other. The Emerald Dream isn't like, there isn't like, you know, and if you vibrate fast enough, you end up in the Emerald Dream. It's not like a Flash comic book. It, it's, it's not like overlapping or anything. It's just yeah. its own place. It's like we said, it's like developer island. <laughs> That's but a good way to put it, of, I think. One of the things about, I mean, the idea of unnatural forces versus natural forces, um, Kalimdor we don't know exactly we don't know if Kalimdor's continents did move all that far apart either. I mean, if you look at the map of ancient Kalimdor that just came out, they're not you know, it's hard to gauge distance. Like we don't really know how far anything moved for that matter. I mean it's we know a that a big chunk of it continent. It's a big yeah. continent. A big chunk of it's just plain gone. Like a lot of it ended up on the bottom of the ocean floor. And the maelstrom is like a huge hole. Like it's it's much bigger than the original Well of Eternity was. The original Well of Eternity was a large lake, but it was dwarfed by the continent that surrounded it. I mean, we we have no idea. Like, we know ancient Kalimdor was enormous. But the other thing is we don't, like, have a – it's not like we have a map anywhere where someone says, yes, ancient Kalimdor was 55 million square kilometers. We don't – these are not things they're going to ever do. They're not going to tie themselves down like that and give themselves an exact amount of land that, that it was because that's not – useful for what they're trying to do and telling these stories via games the impression but it was that I'm, big yeah the impression that i'm getting from that map is that you know it didn't send the eastern kingdoms skipping wildly across the ocean like a stone or anything like that it was more like oh. all of the internal landscape kind of crumbled what? into itself and formed that ocean that separates those continents and those continents were shoved apart a little bit yeah sure but there's it looks there's like, a giant yeah, it looks, chunk of that original Azeroth that's it's underwater now. It's just underwater. It looks like mostly Northrend and Pandaria were the ones that moved. Pandaria like definitely like moved because the Emperor relocated it. You know, it definitely looks like they're the ones that like Northrend went up and Pandaria went down because the Maelstrom kind of shoved them. Is the only thing I can give you on just the way it looks. But Kalimdor and the Eastern Kingdoms don't look like they went anywhere that far. Like, they look to be about as far away from each other. Like, there's a point in the map where they have visible landmarks. Like, they've got, um, like, Ankaraj and and Uldaman on that map. And you look at it, and it doesn't look like they've moved very far. But, again, this is, you know, it's fantasy map making. I can only do so much with this. Yeah. I've been staring at that map all week. <laughs> <laughs> they, they need to draw some dragons and stuff in the ocean. There you go. Yeah. But, all right, the next one is from Gale Force, EU. Uh, question for the podcast, uh, greetings, watchers, and happy belated birthday. With regards to enhancement shamans getting the normally swung with two hands Doomhammer in Legion and somehow magically making a lava offhand to go with it, I thought that it would perhaps time to have some special specializations that only use one one-handed weapon. Uh, as an example, I'm thinking outlaw rogues and enhancement shamans could both use one one-handed weapon. 
Uh, Outlaw seems to fit the duelist archetype best of the current specializations. And enhancement as a sort of battle mage uh, spec would swing a weapon, you know, enhanced with the elements in one hand and fling spells with the other. What do you guys think? Uh, best regards, Galeforce. You guys think anything about that? Uh, I'm not. I mean, if if the offhand weapon essentially is magic, uh, I think there you could do that. Um, I don't think any of the current classes would probably be too happy about that. Uh, I play rogues a lot, and having two weapons is just kind of a rogue thing. It's, if there was like yeah. a pistol, like a pistol full time in the offhand, that would look pretty cool, but. Eh. Visually, it looked pretty interesting, but yeah, I, I don't. I mean, one one-handed weapon, so like a fencing foil or whatever, or a saber, because Alex was all about the saber thing, and then you yeah. know, pistol offhand. That would look pretty cool. Um, the only thing with that is obviously, you know, the numbers would have to be balanced so that you're putting out the right amount of damage. <laughs> Although outlaws don't use poisons anyway. They don't now, not on Legion. So yeah, I mean, it I wouldn't would really to, make a difference, you know. I would want to see something in the offhand. It doesn't have to be the same old weapons. Um, like, uh, I don't want to get into real life combat because it's kind of irrelevant. But there aren't a lot of situations where you'd want to not use both hands. See, it, it'd be weird to have a rogue character that's just attacking things one-handed with a sword and have like the other arm folded behind their back the entire time. That would just look really awkward. The thing is, is that in like if we're going to talk about real life combat, I'll I'll make this quick because yeah, we don't want to get bogged down. But uh, in you know, there's there's some room for unrealistic stuff. Like for instance, everything about a Fury Warrior is ridiculous. Whether or not they're Titans grip, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but because if you were the, the, the reason people use shields is because shields work they're like, you know, it's actually there's a I don't know if you guys ever actually, you know, you're probably not that big into it. But one of my things was like always the, the Norman invasion of England and the Bayou tapestry and so forth. One of the, the points of the tapestry is that there's there's depictions of life uh, around the year 1066, including Halley's Comet going over all that stuff. One of the pictures is of um, King Harold of Wessex's um, house carls who are his like honor guard. They used enormous Danish axes, um, big two-handed axes with a very long, narrow head. I don't know. You, you watch the Viking show, so you might yeah. have seen the Danish axe. The Danish axe is enormous. It's six feet long. Yeah. And they, they used it in a, in a way that you don't see a lot of. Like, I've always wanted to see this for Arms Warriors and that they used that haft a lot. They didn't just swing the big pointy end at people. They used the haft. They used it like a staff quite a lot because – it was there. It's in their hand. I'm not going to not use this huge length of wood to keep you from healing me. I mean, that's just that kind of style would work really well for an arms warrior. The problem with like doing a wow thing is that you, fencing evolved the way it did because new schools came up. Originally, fencing was very much a two handed style. Yeah. Like you had a, a the one thing that I'd love to see with a rogue, like a, a combat rogue is a, a long rapier like sword in one hand and a short dagger in the off, off hand. The uh, the rapier main gauche. Uh, I can't pronounce yeah. French, so I'm not saying it um, right. I think that's but that would we, look really cool. I think that was the intention for rogues for a long time. Is you would have this like the slower main hand one handed sword, and your off hand would be a, a quick little dagger. And over time, World of Warcraft just evolved away from that. Yeah, that's, the is that, yeah. That's they what would make sense too, to me as like a one handed style. It's not that you have one hand flopping in the breeze. It's that. 
you know, you have your main weapon and your offhand is doing something else. Or for that matter, I mean, one of the things that you don't see a lot of in WoW anyways, they every so often they name a shield a buckler, but a buckler isn't just a shield. Right. A buckler is a, is, is a small shield strapped to your arm. And you can and smack people them, with it. Yeah, and for that matter, they a lot of them had cutting edges. And I, I think it would be really cool for... Like if there was a tanking rogue spec having the parrying dagger offhand, like that would be an awesome thing. Um, just in in place of a shield, you have you're very skilled with a parrying dagger, and I think that would be a better way to go than just not not using your offhand for anything. Yeah, you could devise. I mean, like, like there was a lot of talk about doing that for an arms warrior for a long time about making them use one handers, and the problem is is that it just it doesn't really fit WoW's aesthetic very well. Like, WoW was established an aesthetic where dual wielding is a big deal. There's a lot of dual wielding, like, um, where we're even to the point where some classes have had it become, like, a permanent part of the spec. Like, rogues, you pointed out, um, enhancement shamans went from using two-handers to dual wielding, to oddly enough, to fix Wind Fury, um, which is kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, Frost Knights, Frost DKs have always been the warring between the big two-hander and the, the dual wielding, and they finally, dual wielding finally won for Frost. So yeah, I mean, if if the, the people who use one weapon are almost always going to have a shield in the offhand, you know, they're going to have or even like mages and warlocks who are using like a spell sword or spell dagger, they usually have something in their offhand, like a book or some guy's skull. Yeah, or, I was say, just, a skull. <laughs> and it's just kind of something to um, put something in that offhand to make it look like it isn't flapping in the breeze. That yeah. way, it's you know visually interesting. Though I think. Um, other titles that aren't WoW, even in Blizzard's uh, portfolio, do the offhand thing better. Uh, like the Wizard from Diablo Three, it it's it's an art. It like floats in the air. It's it's like a magical focus as opposed to I'm carrying a lantern today. Yeah. Although, quite frankly, I've always wanted to do a mage that I managed to outquip Olin Green if I could just get a green lantern for my offhand. <laughs> I wanted to do that forever, but I can never find one that really looked green enough for me. So, but yeah, that's, I don't, I'm not saying it's not doable. And I do like the idea of enhancement as like a kind of battle mage type thing where you're hitting people with one hand and blasting them with spells. And that's, if you've played enhancement on the, the alpha at all, they're trying to make it that like the maelstrom mechanic is very much, and it's an elaboration of the idea that enhancement does a lot of spell damage. Um, it's very much. It's very much a, you know, okay, now you ca you cast a spell. You use your Maelstrom to cast spells. Maelstrom is now an actual resource. It's not just something you stack up to five and then hit. It's like an actual resource instead of mana. I don't even know if Enhancement has mana anymore. It's, it's no. kind of weird. No. Yeah. No, uh, I think Resto Shamans are the only ones that still have a mana bar. Even even yeah. uh, Elemental, there's no mana bar. It's you build up Maelstrom and then you use it. Okay, so an Elemental uses Maelstrom too? Yep. Okay, yeah. So... The, the maelstrom mechanic has become much more widespread than than I'd realized. I haven't played enhancement on the on the alpha yet, just enhancement. So yeah, it, it, there's an idea for that, but I kind of feel like both elemental and enhancement kind of have that battle mage thing going on, and elemental does it a lot better. Like elemental feels very much like they're they're waiting in there to do damaging spell casting, and yeah, I got a weapon and I might hit you with it if you come close, but. I'm going to be blasting you with the elements this whole time. So yeah, it's all, um, it's just the melee spell casting animations in a while. We're all a bit weird. And if they could come up with good animations for it, sure. But, um, even as it is, you know, dual wielding, I'll tell you. your weapon suddenly disappears. So you can use a shock. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know like how that. 
I don't know how to talk about like other classes here, but I know that I am just in love with what they've done with Warriors. The the combat animations for Warriors and on the Alpha are astonishingly good. There, in fact, I have so much fun playing an Arms Warrior because I just like watching what they she does. Like she's <laughs> like, what Like watching like seriously, I I now like Blood Elves just from watching a Blood Elf do stuff with a two-handed sword because she picks that thing up and it looks like. You know how gnomes always kind of felt like they were like going to topple over a little bit from the sword? Yeah. Blood elves feel like they, they, they're like going out of their minds. Like they, they, I am holding a giant sword. Like, you know, like, I, like no one told them that giant swords were this much fun. And now they're just like, hit everything, <laughs> this giant sword. Oh my God. You know, it's and red paladins have a weird one. Now, uh, one of their new melee strikes, when you use it, a giant sword shoots up out of the ground. Uh, we haven't had a ret pal in any of our alpha groups, but it's just one of their melee attacks is a sword shoots out of the ground, like as large as the character model is. Yeah, maybe I'll play Brett at some point then. <laughs> it's I've weird. Got a pal, but I haven't been playing him. And uh, it makes like a clangy, clangy metal sound as this sword just erupts out of the earth. The the sounds are better in the on the alpha for sure. Um, I've definitely noticed that every warrior spec. Fury in particular. Fury has one attack where it's literally just. It's called Rampage, but it'd just be called Ape you know, going berserk or something. Like going, I'll just say it, Ape shit. It should just be called that because that's what you do. <laughs> you're going to go like, ah, 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 ah. It's, it's just nuts. <laughs> okay. I really, I really do love like the, the warrior stuff. But anyway, moving on to the next email from Daikaiju. Daikaiju? Daikaiju? You say Daikaiju? Daikaiju, da, da sure. Okay, Daikaiju. Uh, question for the podcast. Do you feel the possible drama over Gilneas' integration into the new alliance is a lost opportunity? I know it'll be salty if the king, you know, who famously told everyone else to get bent, was suddenly holed up with our uh, president and weighing in on military decisions and such. Not to mention a number of forsaken are probably, you know, blame Greymane and his lovely wall for their state as well. Uh, I'm going to say it right up front. I don't care what the forsaken's problem with anything going on in the alliance is ever. I turned South Shore into goo. Right. And I think I, I think the best answer to this as far as like why aren't people salty about Gilneas joining the Alliance? Um, if you haven't read Wolfheart, you should go read Wolfheart because yeah. that's addressed. <laughs> it's very oh, yeah. awkward for a while there in the novel. <laughs> yeah, definitely um the people who are most invested in helping Gilneas join the Alliance are people who weren't in the Alliance when Gilneas took a walk. Yeah. And Varian, have, Varian is not, he's not like, Oh yeah, you guys should totally No, They have to convince him because he's, mm-hmm. he's real salty, real, real salty. And it makes, like I said, Wolfhart's like the best knack novel. I think that he's written for Warcraft to date. That's part of the reason why. You just you need to read that book. You you really should. I I almost feel like even if they hadn't addressed it, I would totally be understanding. Um, the alliance's situation in World of Warcraft, uh, they're dealing with the Horde and you know Deathwing and Cataclysms and old gods and fire lords. Like, so you want to join us with your werewolves? Okay, that's my answer. I'll take your werewolves. There's certainly one of the things. Again, like not wanting to spoil Legion for anybody, but Legion does a fascinating thing with Gilneas. It doesn't, it, it interestingly amps up the tension between the Horde and the Alliance. Although I, I don't know if it works as well as I'd want as a zone, but in terms of the, the political ramifications, I do like that 
Gilneas, for lack of a better word, steps up. Gilneas says, okay, we're going to take a role here. It's not just, you know, they don't just join to get protection. They're, they're fighting. They're, they are in this. It's a, it's a fight. We've had enough time to regroup and now we'd like to fight back. Thanks. Yeah. It's kind of what it feels like. There is a certain beautiful symmetry to the Forsaken uh, Worgen clashing that, that I hope continues, even as I hope they find different ways to do it. Because, you know, ultimately, I think Nathanos Brightcaller says it best. He's like, oh, you're calling me a monster. Oh, that's rich. And it's, it's like, you know, it is the, the, the Worgen are finally the Alliance's answer to the Forsaken. The Forsaken have been like the, the real monsters for a very long time. Like in a group that where they've got, you know, minotaurs and orcs and trolls, the, the Forsaken were the real deal. They were, you know, walking dead things. They were monstrosities. And finally, the Alliance has an answer to that. They have the people who can step up and say, yeah, OK, you're monsters. I'm going to eat you now. Uh, all of that does make me wish the Draenei were a little more demony and less pure lighty. Uh, I mean, they're big horned monster things and they could be big horned brutal monster things but instead they're like the most gentle of the people in the alliance which is a very strange thing okay uh, but the, Dren- like, the Drenai could have been the answer to all of that but see I, and i saw that though alex i saw that for a moment if you look at the uh burning crusade trailer the paladin yeah. in that trailer that's maraud uh yeah he kind of he kind of just goes to town. I and there's like there's, blood flying everywhere, and it's great. There's like there's always been like that dichotomy that still hasn't really been explored. But I can't complain that the Draenei haven't got enough development after Warlords. The Draenei got a good look, so they're not going to get anything for a while. But one of the things the original, have you done the original Draenei leveling zone? Yeah. Yes. There's a part in that that always kind of just sends shivers up me where. You go and do the exploration. You find out that blood elves are on the island, and you go to Velen. And Velen's response is, "Kill them. Yeah. I want you to murder them. Yeah. Find them and kill them." And it's like, "Whoa, Velen!" And he's like, "No. They've done this to us. They've chased us here. They crashed the ship. They must die." And it's like, I, I, they made Velen much mellower later. Like he, he's never been like that again. I want that Velen back. I want the point where I would love to see a point where during Legion Velen's like shows up with a bunch of Vindicators and is just like, kill them all, you know? Yeah. Cause that's in there that this, he's finally, he's been chased for like however many thousands of years. And there is a line where Velen will say, okay, I want you to burn them. I want them dead. That's just always been a sticking point for you with the Draenei is there. I enjoy the Eridar more than I enjoy the Draenei because the Eridar feel like they have something going on. The Draenei, like, I like Draenei, but they are so uh, light, gentle, lovey. You're giant horned monster beasts in plate armor. Go do something. Yeah, that's why I think, you know, honestly, that's why I think that the, my favorite of the Lords of War shorts is the Mirad one. Yeah. And, um, you know, Urel finally did stuff. And that was great. But we just we just need more giant hulking blue armored monsters fighting for the alliance. Just go do stuff. Go kill stuff. <laughs> All right, Nick. I can't for the life of me. Um, L T Thez. 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 Sure. L T Thez rhymes with Fez. Um, from Airy Peak, US has a question for us. 
Uh, the story of the Pandaren breaking ties with the Night Elves before the mists went up and the Gilnean interaction with the, the other human kingdoms after the Second War seems very similar, at least in the, in, that the, in the theme. We don't need anything from anyone. We're walling ourselves off. Uh, are there contrasts or notable differences between the two stories? I'm going to let Anne go first because I know she's read like everything ever about the Pandaren, so... Yeah, there's actually some really big differences because when you look at Gilneas, all right, Gilneas walled themselves off because the Second War was over with. The Alliance of Lordran was basically asking them for money to help build Netherguard Keep, and Gen was pretty much like, "Oh, yeah, okay, now you're asking me for money. I mean, y'all already asked me for people. My citizens died. Yeah, no, we don't need you guys because you're not actually giving anything to us. We're just giving everything to you, and I'm not going to stand for that. And he had the wall built. Whereas um, Emperor Xiao Hao, it was very much a, whoa, something big and very, very bad is going on over there, and I need to protect my people from it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a matter of, oh, I'm fed up with you or anything, so much as it was... If my people are going to survive what's going to happen very shortly, I need to do something about it, and I need to do something really major about it. Um, so there wasn't... Yeah. I mean, it, are there similarities? Yeah, both of them kind of, like, cloistered themselves away, but that's probably about as far as the similarities go. Plus, I mean, when, when the, the Pandaren sent the box to the Night Elves with the, you know, the infamous box with nothing in it thing, that was meant as kind of a warning. It wasn't an F.U., no, um, it was when, just like a, you know, here's everything you need. There's, yeah. When Gen left the Alliance, there was an FU. There was, was like it was both notable. middle fingers extended in the air, Mike drop out the door with Gen Graving. He says something along the lines of, damn the Alliance and damn you, Taranis. You know, he, he straight up tells Taranis, who, these guys were friends. Oh, they, like, were, they were. They were total you know, buddies. <laughs> and so when he stood up and told his friend, F off. And stormed out, mic drop, as as Anne put it. Yeah, he totally. Th there was much more vituperation there than it was. The Pandaren weren't like, Pandaren aren't, aren't elves. You know, Gilnans are human. And the thing Th is, this was like, humans fighting. Right, and and the Pandaren. I mean, they interacted a little bit with the Night Elves, but there wasn't like you know a close relationship there or anything. It was just well, we happen to occupy space that's like right next to each other, so. We'll talk to you, and you can talk to us, and there's, like, this kind of wary friendliness thing going on, but it wasn't, they weren't tight, you know? No. And they, they weren't, lived very they weren't far even away the same species, other. so, you know? <laughs> they weren't the same species. They lived very far apart from each other. There were mountains in the way. Yeah. There were Zandalari in the way. I mean, there were, like, actually, I think, two troll empires and some bug people between them. There was a lot of room. Yeah, there wasn't and... there wasn't a lot of interaction between those two societies. So, I mean, when Xiao Hao made that decision, it was very he wasn't thinking about the night elves. He wasn't thinking about anything, but uh-oh, I had a vision. This burning legion thing is coming. It's really bad. Things are going to get really terrible really soon. I need to protect my people. And you and... notice too like when he did it, when he created the mists, the uh the the ancient I don't remember what they're called anymore because they're not ancients the uh August Celestials the August Celestials thank you they told him flat out you can't do this without bringing the Mantid you know you have to bring the Mantid because they're part of Pandaria this this region you call Pandaria the Mantid are inextricably linked to it they're they're part of it you can't just exclude them so he brought like the the worst threat his kingdom faced along for the ride again 
if you told Gen, yeah, you can build the wall, but you totally have to build it so that the the, the Forsaken can come when the, when they show up, he wouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, this was Gen's move was isolationist. The Pandaren move was purely survival oriented. The fact that it became isolationist, well, of course it did. Ten thousand years, they they had ten thousand years of isolation. Gen's, Gen's motivation was pretty much, I don't want to have anything to do with you people. Hmm. And we can survive better on our own, and you guys can just go do your own thing. I don't care anymore. I'm going to build a wall. And Shao Hao's was, it, it was, it was, the motivation was just completely, it was, I need to protect my people. You know, yeah. there was for nothing. All they knew, no, you go. No, go ahead. I was going to say, for all they knew, after the mist went up, that everybody was dead. They had no idea what was past those mists for a long time uh, until the, the, like, the guy with his turtles started going out looking. Like the wandering aisle was created entirely because one guy was like, do you think anything else survived? And everyone else was like, well, I don't know. So that's why the wandering he had aisle the whole wanderlust thing. Yeah. But the, 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 they, there's a lot of differences there. There's a certain similarity, but yeah, there's, there's plenty of differences. So uh, next email. Can this I, this one uh, is, long. Yo, can go I, ahead. Can I backtrack for just a moment? Um, somebody sure. in chat mentioned, cause I was talking about the, the Draenei. I want them to be doing stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert James in chat said, mentioned the protoss and i think that's, that's pretty much exactly my line of thinking uh the protoss you know they have their mysticism they have their 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 holiness and their you know gold and silver and all that but they're also warriors uh in starcraft and i think that's just what i want out of the draenei more so you know the protoss in starcraft they have their zealots and they have their whole you know we're the tip of the spear thing and they're front and center fighting the zerg against all odds the draenei generally stand back and I, that's just that's what's missing. I want the Protoss instead of the Draenei, I guess. Right. I don't agree with you, but at this point, I'm not, not willing to, get, to spend another 20 minutes <laughs> arguing the Draenei stuff. So uh, next one is from uh, Thranduil. I'm going to say Thranduil, uh, Human Affliction Warlock. Um, so sorry if I mispronounce your name. I'm trying here. Uh, and going also, the problem is I can't read very well because of my eye at the moment. So I'm Thrand sorry. I'm Thranduil is good. Sounds good. Yeah. To me. That's how I would. This is the first time after listening nearly three, nearly two years that I decided to write to you guys uh, and, a t you know, tough time to shape my question correctly. Uh, until the start of Wrath of the Lich King, Blizzard had mostly added new stuff to the game instead of altering, you know, it except you know, raid sizes. At the same time, they had already uh, prob probably made the concrete plans for the Cataclysm and decided to change the talent system, start cust stat customizing and reforging and, uh, you know, Azeroth itself. Every expansion after that updated the, the basic systems to the game while adding new content. Uh, Mr. Pandaria, talent system, uh, flex scale, flex rating, player avatar uh, models, to, uh, test Pandaren. Uh, Warlords, all race models, uh, raid system, stats, PvP system, uh, ability prune. Uh, Legion, full class revamp, uh, professions, PvP systems, uh, user interface, uh, transmog, bank, etc. This work on existing systems took some time away from pure creative design. This may be one of the reasons for the alleged lack of top-level PvE content when compared to like the likes of BC and Wrath. Uh, after the updates Legion adds to the game, are you able to find anything else that needs updating, uh, presuming all works you know out? Uh, and if not, uh, would you see next expansion with as much playable content you know that we saw in Outland and Northrend? Uh, with best regards, Thranduil. Um, honestly, I think there's a little bit of rose-colored glasses here in that 
uh, I remember Wrath having quite a, like for one thing, the talent system did actually get up, get changed significantly. Yeah. They went, they, they actually tuned it down they because it was getting, it. they axed yeah. it. It used to be so big in vanilla and burning crusade. They were monsters. If it kept going the way it had been going in Wrath, it would have been like, you would have been looking at like, I think we had 51 point talents. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I think we had something like that. And uh, they, they altered that because they had to. There was actually quite a lot that got changed. Um, Wrath, in many ways, didn't even resemble BC. And for instance, how you ran dungeons. Uh, keep in mind, the, the Dungeon Finder is a mid-Wrath development. It is the transmog of Wrath. And that it came out of nowhere. It happened in the middle of the expansion. And it utterly changed how we run dungeons. It's impossible nowadays to really even understand. If you weren't playing in BC... It's, it's very hard to understand how people did dungeons in, in vanilla in BC yeah. because you did not have a tool to find you a group. You found a group by basically looking for a group in a city. Like you had a friend who was in your guild who would go to like, say, Orgrimmar and talk and trade to try and get you a group. There yep. was. Yeah, I mean, you could sit in like on the Alliance side, you could sit in Ironforge for two or three hours and maybe you would finally get your dungeon group together. And it was I, I had there Do was you guys remember items. remember before they had meeting stones like yeah. they, <laughs> that oh, yeah. was ridiculous because you, you had to sit in the in the capital to find your group right and then once you found your group you had to like everybody had to physically go to the dungeon had to physically travel to the dungeon there was no unless way to were... summon people unless you were a warlock. Yeah, poor warlocks basically were the the workhorses of the game because they had to they had to sit outside dungeons and farm low level mobs for soul shards, so they could summon everybody. I had a I had a thing called, for lack of a better word, I had the Upper Blackrock Spire key. It was a ring that allowed you to get into Upper Blackrock Spire. This essentially meant that despite the fact that I was playing a DPS warrior for this period of time, I was a tyrant who could control entire groups because I had the key. You were the reason want, they were allowed into the instance in the first place. <laughs> if you want to get in, you got to take me, and you got to basically. Um, I didn't use it. I didn't use this power because I'm not a jerk. But I saw people who were like straight up vetting groups, saying who could go, who could roll on things. Like you know how nowadays people do like old time runs and they're like X is reserved. People were doing that in like a current content dungeon that that could take up to 15 people who were all trying to get their dungeon set. They were my, all trying to get that. My so, favorite in vanilla was the Skolomance key. Because uh, it, yeah. it was it had that gate outside the dungeon portal. And somebody had to open that gate. Yep. And you only needed one person with the key to get your group in. But so few people had it that a group of five would stand outside that gate and wait for somebody with the key to show up and open it. They like Just hoping that somebody random would just happen to come by with the key and open that gate. You know what or, I did? Or like, somebody would um somebody would kill their own character some way to take their ghost through the gate and res on the other side so they could get into the dungeon. Here's here's what I did for three months back in vanilla because I had the key and I didn't want to run Sholo. So you know what I did? I charged gold <laughs> to come out and open the gate. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah, I sat I sat on that island and like you know twelve twenty gold. Boom, you're in. How All else right, are you going to afford your epic mount? <laughs> I'm not even kidding, because that is, in fact, how I got my epic. Exactly. Between doing that, I sold an epic drop, and I had the key to UBRS, so I basically charged groups to go and let them in and then drop out so they could get some other guy in. Like, that that was 
This was legitimate goal making. This is all stuff that is it is relegated for better and for worse because there were good elements to this. It did have an effect on server community to a degree. Like servers today don't have the kind of community that they had then. But at the same time, some of that was bad because there were some real jerks. So it's pros and cons. But all this stuff changed. Every expansion, in fact, brought system changes, big ones in some cases. Uh, Burning Crusade utterly changed tanking forever. Like before Burning Crusade in vanilla WoW, here's your tank class, Warriors. Yep. Who else tanked? Nobody. Maybe. In fact, no, there, was, there are two fights where a druid might end up tanking. You could never get a paladin to tank, even if they wanted to, because they were just too useful for everything else. Like, for, for one thing, all blessings were individual cast for a while. They were blessing bots. <laughs> they had to be renewed every five minutes. Yep. And you had, so you had to have a guy who did nothing but cast blessings on people all the time. Uh, my raid in vanilla, after we had something on farm content, we would try to have a feral druid tank it for the novelty. It usually went badly. Yeah, I remember we just for giggles once we decided to let our uh, main heal one of our main healers who was druid. We we decided to let him go bear so he could tank Baron Geddon. That did not go well, but the main reason we did it was because we wanted to see the bear fly <laughs> in the air. We wanted plus, to see him detonate. That's all. <laughs> there's people also forget like balance wise, you couldn't let paladins do anything particularly well that shamans couldn't do. Because Alliance had Paladins and Horde had Shamans, and Nair the Twain should meet. So Shamans could tank in low, lower level content. Like, you put Rockbiter on a weapon and you'd go. There was a, a leather-slash-mail-clad tank in, in World of Warcraft who seriously tanked dungeons. This is what happened. Shamans did this. It worked. Then they got into raids, and of course, they became heal bots. So that's what happened to Paladins. Even though Shamans and Paladins had completely different mechanics and abilities... They were considered to be the counter of each other. Yeah, I, I re still remember that Horde players were so convinced that Paladins were overpowered. Like, and, Paladins... Pl and Alliance players were exactly the same about Shaman. Right. Shaman had Tremor Totem. Tremor yeah. Totem bre breaking fears forever whenever you want. That was so good. Okay, but you had Dwarf Paladins Priest, so it did better. But you, every priest had to be a Dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't ha Myra didn't have any. Well, we had one. Because who wants to play a Dwarf? They're hideous. Come on now. There was like so many back and forth like arguments about this, but you know which yeah. one was better. The, I I actually managed to like run Blackwing Lair on both Horde and, and Alliance back in vanilla, and I remember when I ran it on Horde and I saw the 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 what they called um the Earthbind Highway, which is basically yeah. they'd yeah. be running all these guys around dropping these these Earthbind totems to slow them so that they could be kited more effectively, versus the Alliance technique was. Just have warriors run around like lunatics and hope to God things stuck to you. Uh, you know? We would do it with hunters with uh, cheetah and hope that they never got hit ever. Because yeah. yeah. if they got hit, you wiped. And that's the thing is like, you know, it depended on your composition a great deal. But, you know, there was like it, it, these are things that th these are, people don't see them anymore because it's so far back. We're talking 10 years ago, you know, like 2007 is when BC came out. We're heading towards that next. That's next year. I feel like so maybe like, we're getting off topic here. Well, I'm just my point is mostly yeah we are getting off topic. My point is just that they've always had this. This has always been part of the game's design. I think Cataclysm is the only expansion where you can really point to it and say they tried to do a revamp and it utterly derailed high level content. I don't think we can. Warlords has that excuse. 
And, the problem and, that I have here is that you're saying, you know, they say the work on existing systems took some time away from pure creative design. You have to realize these are two separate teams. Like there's a team that works on systems and balance and encounters and everything else. And there's another team that works on quests and content and things like that. Like they're two separate units. They don't really work in unison from what I'm aware yeah, yeah. Like, the, the, I mean, there is some overlap here. Like, okay, if you're they're updating how transmog works, then yeah, there's some people who need to work on the actual technical side of the system, and yeah. you have the people who do the UI. Yeah, there's two groups working on that, but those two groups probably are not working on, for example, new character models at the same time, or, ra or raid content for that matter. Yeah, and raid and content. I mean, sometimes you have. Probably you have people, you know, from the creative side of things pointing out, like, the story of the raid and whatnot. But there's not, it's not like laying out quests for his own or anything like that. They're separate. It's They're like, separate things. Yeah, there's not, there's not a guy named Lenny who's like, you know, if, oh, sorry, Lenny's working on Transmog, so Lenny can't do your raid design. They have large teams of people who do all that stuff. And it's just, it's always been the case that they've had large teams. Warlords, Warlords paucity of content just comes down to warlords having a paucity of content and it's weird and there's no explanation yeah. for it we've never gotten an explanation I, I, for it my i just personally on a personal level this is my opinion i do feel like they went into warlords thinking it was really cool changed their mind lost the inspiration and decided to cut their losses that's just how i feel about it they just went up oh, never mind well i i don't know i wasn't there I, all i know is that warlords very much feels like i i i to this day I am a champion of Warlords uh, from 90 to 100. I think it is one of the most fun experiences I've had. I've leveled multiple characters. I like it. And but... I will still defend Garrisons as being a cool thing. It's just they forgot to do anything outside of Garrisons. Garrisons don't... My problem is like Garrisons work really well as part of the leveling experience. Because they're your home base that yeah. you leave and come back to. And when you stop leaving the Garrison is when the Garrison stops being good. Yeah, they, they stopped... I mean, there's a point where the content outside of the garrisons ceases to exist, and that's when it's yeah. like, well, all I have to do is my garrison chores. Like maybe once a day, I'll go mindlessly farm some Apexus crystals, yeah. at, you know, in an objective zone. Uh, and we can go back and forth on that. Uh, I guess we've got three minutes, so we could. But ultimately, I feel like you can't blame Warlords' paucity of content on them being busy just redesigning things. It's not. It's not the new race models. It's not the PvP system. It's not the ability prune. None of that changes content. As know? far as as far as after the updates with Legion, can we find anything else that needs updating? Yeah, yes, stuff certainly. always needs updating. Oh yeah, it, 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 that that's not like a, a a quest with a finite end to it. That's something as the game evolves, all of that evolves. So I'll, if we had another podcast. Right now, if we just started doing another hour-long podcast, by the end of that hour, I'd still have things I'd want them to update. Can we yeah. think of Can we think of anything that has not changed since 2004? Oh boy, no. Uh, any Druids feature, can still shapeshift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, rage still exists, but I mean, it. it How many no. times has it been changed, though? Every expansion. Every expansion. Combo yeah, points I mean, even got a change eventually. Yeah, there's like they were the same for the longest time, and then they're like, "Nope, we're gonna put it on the rogue instead of the target." And that was and like a I'm, phenomenal change. If I'm honest, I still think combo points are kind of obnoxious compared to how they're implemented in other MMOs. But hey, the, there's there is almost 
Like no uh, uh, profession. Vaiku no just pointed out. Vaiku just pointed out in the chat channel the backpack. Yeah, well, the backpack yeah. has never changed. The, <laughs> the number of slots hasn't changed, but they recently added that thing where you can clean up your bags and it totally ruins your life because it puts things where you don't want them. <laughs> yeah, he's right. There they is actually, that. The hearthstone. They added, they the added hearthstone has never too. changed. The hearthstone has have... a shorter cooldown than it used to. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. It has changed. Uh, Wayward World Hopper says hot bars, but when the game launched. You only had the one hotbar. You had to in- install an add-on to display more than one. And now in the basic UI, you can display multiple hotbars at once. And they've yeah, actually you... split. They've split the bars that used to just get like one. And now it's two. It's right, left, right, left for the two top bars. Yeah. And then you also so... have the sidebars on there too, and those weren't there yep. initially. And when, and when the game launched, two thousand four, it was just that for that one row of buttons. That was all you had. Quest UI has been changed multiple times. Um, Mounts have changed multiple times. Mounts have changed to the point where even back in vanilla, they had a group of of epic mounts that they stopped letting you get. Which is lame. Yeah. I kind of wish they'd bring Uh, those back. But even, I mean, back in vanilla, your mount lived in your bags. There wasn't... (laughs) And pets. If you wanted a non-combat pet, it lived in your bag. <laughs> yeah, I had like about space. five. I, I actually had five horses in my bags. I yeah. remember from beta when uh, when you leveled up, they give you skill points, and you had to invest those skill points, and you had to decide whether to put them into combat skills or trade skills. Uh, or heck, you know, for that a changed long time. pretty quick. But in that change itself, where things you had weapon skill points that just happened, mm-hmm. like so you had to skill up a weapon, and if you'd never used that weapon, like during the Kalthos fight, and I know that we're running low on time, but during the Kalthos fight, the various legendaries dropped to make the fight easier. Uh, one of our arms warriors had never used a two-handed axe. He'd managed to never use a mm. two-handed axe, and so he gets that axe and he can't hit anything with it. So he had to go out and and find one of those guys in the in the in the, the blasted guys lands. in the blasted lands. <laughs> yeah, he had to go find one of them and just hit him over and over again with that axe until he had f- the full skill. Uh, Rethor in chat mentioned gold, silver, copper, but there have been some money changes. Uh, the the gold cap is carry. higher. Yeah. And um, from vanilla to Burning Crusade, they radically changed how much gold you get because gold farmers became popular. And they thought daily quests would take a hit out of gold farmers, but it didn't really work. And now we have daily quests just for content. The rested XP mechanic. Has that changed? Has that ever changed? Where if you log out in an inn or a capital city, you get rested XP and you get it up to a certain point and that's it? If it changed, it was a long time ago. I don't remember the it only, ever yeah, changed. The only, the only change, we've had changes to experience, but not specifically but not rest rested you, XP. I mean, I know that you can get rested XP if you log out on a mount. Because if you're not on a mount, not on a mount, on a taxi, if you're on one of the flight point mounts, because when you log out on that thing, it logs you out instantly. Yeah, and oh. that it's treated as an in. You you can get rested XP from that. But for as far as I know, that was always the case. So huh. you may have found one thing. Like they've even changed flight points. Yeah, flight, like flight points have changed have drastically. Changed. So yeah, the game in 2004 on release has. We may have found the one thing that they left. <laughs> but I think that's that's the show. I, I do recall there was a point where Alex doesn't agree that it's. I'm the sorry. Show. It might have it might happen in beta, so it might still be static. Uh, the thing was, you got a penalty to earned XP that was if beta. you didn't log out in it in. Okay. Yeah, that was beta. That was not release. So it's been the same since release. It's been the same since release. Yeah. We found the so, one thing. <laughs> yes, the one thing. Now, <laughs> expect a patch note. Blizz, get on that. 
Yeah, change your aesthetic. Do something, something to it. <laughs> you have to now. Now it's now it's green. What? Your XP turns green now. That's all. <laughs> all right. As is always the case, uh, we're going to turn it over to Anne at this point. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads free site experience. Thanks. This has been the Blizzard Watch podcast. Uh, I'm Matt Rossi. I've been your host. And thank you very much for joining us. I'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.